Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Market View on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Market View, where we take a look at what's next for equity, debt, commodity, and currency markets to help you better position your portfolios. Now, in this special edition of Market View, we're going to let our imagination run wild and look at a series of outrageous predictions for 2024. Now, done by online trading and investment firm Sexo annually, the predictions focus on a series of unlikely but underappreciated events which if they were to occur, would send shockwaves across financial markets. Now, the title for this year's predictions is called The End of the Road for Complacency, that is. Now, entering 2024, Sexo sees a world at an inflection point with a familiar road of the last decade coming to an end. Now, what that means, according to Sexo's Chief Investment Officer, Steen Jakobsen, is that the smooth road the world has travelled on since the great financial crisis with stable geopolitics, low inflation and low interest rates have now been disrupted. And we now see a future filled with unpredictability ahead of us. Now, some of his out-of-the-box predictions include oil prices at 150 US dollars, Saudi buying the Champions League franchise, the world hit by a major health crisis due to obesity drugs, generative AI deepfakes triggering a national security crisis, and luxury shares plunging on an EU wealth tax. Lots of exciting predictions here, and for more, I've got Steen with me, joining me all the way from Copenhagen, Steen Jakobsen, Chief Investment Officer at Sexo. Steen, welcome. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Great to have you, and always a pleasure too. And Steen, we've briefly talked about this year's outrageous predictions, but let's start with the title, The End of the Road for Complacency. It's quite different from last year, where we look at the war in Ukraine. While it is meant to be outrageous to begin with, right, Steen, what was the basis for this year's title? I, I think the sort of the eureka moment for us, at least as Saxo, was the fact that in 23, for the first time probably since World War II, the market started asking whether the U.S. actually can continue to issue the amount of debt that it's doing right now. So you have what in economics lingo is called a stock and a flow problem, stock meaning that you have too large a debt and flow that you're actually issuing more debt that the market can, uh, can, can, can take. That in itself, of course, is a new situation. It's a situation that needs to be mitigated. And, and if you're in a world where you cannot push more debt to the market, you're also in a position where you're challenging the free market price discovery. Uh, out in Asia, Bank of Japan has been experimenting with a fixed rate on, on bonds, which means that uh, one of the biggest countries in the world do not have a price discovery. So as you can imagine, I could go through a whole range of socioeconomic factors as well, but I think these are the most sort of at the forefront of, uh, of at least the, the markets. And talk about some of your outrageous predictions. Uh, one of them has to do with oil prices. You talked about oil prices surging to 150 US dollars per barrel, and consequently, Saudi Arabia extending its influence in tourism and leisure by acquiring one of the most coveted franchises in sports to create a World Champions League. Now, what would need to happen to drive oil prices to those levels? Uh, first of all, of course, we would see uh, that the geopolitical premium out of the Middle East would increase. Uh, and that could be a combination, of course, unfortunately, uh, escalation on the, on, the, on, the, on the war in terms of the fronts. 
It could also be that uh, the huge amount of uh, interest rate cuts that we've seen and being pre-announced for 24, which is happening now, would get actually economic activity accelerate somewhere in the second part of next year. And most importantly, I think it's pretty clear that OPEC and, and the oil producing nations are very uh, unhappy with the present situation. And I would say just non, non-provocative, non non-outrageous uh, that we end the year with all-time high in, in equity prices, the smallest credit spreads in history. Uh, and at the same time, energy and, and food prices are at very low cycle uh, prices. So if there is any surprise, it's probably maybe not 150, but it's certainly that we will see higher prices, not lower prices of energy next year. You know, should oil prices, as you predicted, uh, in one of the outrageous predictions, of course, we must quantify that as meant to be outrageous. Um, should that happen? And should Saudi Arabia capitalize on that oil prices to boost its tourism? Um, how would that reshape tourism flows? You know, particularly, especially if Saudi Arabia were to really acquire that uh, franchise in sports. So they, you know, the obvious answer, of course, being they're already doing the live tour in, in golf. It's now effectively run and managed by by Saudi. Uh, and, and it's pretty clear that they are, along with India and a number of other uh, very uh, growing economies, they're using consumption of capital domestically. We only need to look, uh, at least if you're into football, you only need to look to the amount of contracts being signed with star players going into a league, which uh, being very diplomatic is uh, is is almost like a semi-professional league. Uh, but but they the money talks. And I think the bigger point we raise with this is not only how can it actually happen, but also the fact, and this is not to do with Saudi, just a general question. Is it a world we live in today where we can actually buy everything for money? I think it's pretty clear we can, because the argument goes very simply. If you ask the, the golf players on the live tour, why are you joining sort of uh, what some people want to say, sports washing, some people want to say sort of a, an attempt to buy some PR, uh, Independent of that, the answer is always the same. You know, what would you imagine if you, as a journalist, was offered ten times your salary for the next three years? Uh, would you really be concerned about who you work for, or would you, as most people probably would, uh, fairly, uh, say this can uh, safeguard my family going forward, uh, not only one generation but a couple of generations? Similar Champions League. You know, we know for a fact that some of the major clubs in the Champions League has tried to go f- on their own uh, already. We know that FIFA is not entirely happy about that the Champions League is probably more popular than the World Cup in football. So why wouldn't you know Saudi, in an attempt to attract, as you say, a good flow, making the final happen in uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, for instance, or, and making it you know the semifinals uh, in the region and doing a contribution to the GTC? Why wouldn't they go to the uh, to the club and say, you know, listen, you are getting your know, X billion worth of money, uh, price money right now. Why don't we make that three times the size, and and then you come under the uh, the wings of this new league. So you know, most football club runs with a deficit. Most people wants to secure the financial future. That leaves for us the question: Can money buy everything? And to if the money is big enough, I actually think the answer is in most things. Uh, fortunate, a few personal things cannot be bought for money, like love. But but apart from that, I think we are pretty close to uh, to a situation where at least uh, economic drive is is really the size of the bet more than uh, than than the morality of the bet. 
you were talking about how、um, money can buy happiness and money can buy almost everything in the world. And I want to talk about using money to counter obesity. We've seen obesity drugs making news in the U.S. this year, boosting、uh, pharmaceutical stocks and dampening, of course, the counters of fast food franchises. But you're predicting that the world will be hit by a major health crisis in 2024 because obesity drugs make people stop exercising. What would that then mean for fast food and pharma shares then? Yeah, so we we are making sort of the with with a little smile on our face, we are making a, the case that actually the、uh, the wider use of the、uh, GLP one medicine,、uh, which is、uh, primarily now with Eli Lilly and Novo Nordic,、uh, can lead people to、uh, you know stop taking concerns about being social, active,、uh, moving around, going to exercises, because the easier deal is actually just to to eat the pill. So again, we raised the the moral question: Is it okay for society to support a pill which we know only works as long as you take it? So on the pill, you have some 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 impact. Yeah, most healthcare systems in the world would probably like to adopt this、uh, at the right price because simply the cost of obesity is significant. In a country like America, the sort of the number of obese people that is is is、uh, is measured is is somewhere between forty six and forty eight percent. In a country like Mexico, we are above sixty percent. So there is a huge cost to the healthcare system. The problem, and this is the important part, it does remove the incentive. It does remove the ability of social climbing in our in our question because if you are already sort of challenged to get a gym membership, if you're already challenged to you know go into a local club or doing whatever,、uh, the fact that you can buy a pill and not having to actually address you know your happiness as as you you phrase it yourself, I think will leave you you know more prone to eat、uh, McDonald's and drink. Coke. So we are making the ironic call that maybe the price of these two products goes up exactly because、uh, the opposite of this is,、uh, and, and the mitigation of that is that you can buy a pill. Right, and I, I recall counters of Krispy Kreme at one point、uh, was brought up because of some of the medicines that could treat.、Um, I'm not not too sure whether it's diabetes or or for obesity at one point.、Um, but if you're just tuning in, we're now in conversation with Steen Jakobsen, Chief Investment Officer at Sexo, and talk about the U.S. Steen.、Uh, you're guessing that the U.S. will herald the end of capitalism with. Tax-free government bonds, as it is forced to increase fiscal spending exponentially amid the 2024 elections. Tell us more about that, and what would this mean then for U.S. interest rates and Treasury yields? I think many people in the West will already、uh, put question mark to whether we have a capitalistic system because the hand of governments is、uh, is very big, certainly in the in the whole green and and the regulatory side of things. But this call is very very important for people to understand. You know, we talked about it earlier. If the U.S. is unable to actually find buyers for their bonds, they need to incentivize the same people to actually, you know, move across from equity and and other markets to buy it. How do you do that? Of course, you make it tax-free or deductible against your income. And if you do that, you have to understand the full consequences for society. If you imagine we only had two investment pools, one was equity. Private equity.、Uh, in the case, I mean, when I talk private equity, it's not like a fund, but equity in the in the private market. And then you have the government bonds. If we are now forcing everyone to buy more government bonds, 
there is less capital available for the private market, which means that at the end of the day, we're going to thin out the amount of uh, money that goes to stocks and, and increase the amount that goes to the government. And in that process, you are similar to what has happened ultimately in Japan. We could end up in a situation where nothing actually has a marginal cost of capital, i.e. price discovery, and that is the worst situation you have. And that would be the end of the capitalism, which is already challenged. You know, the Western sort of mercantile model is super challenged by the super brick country. It's uh, certainly in your reading challenged by by players uh, uh, that that believe they have a different and better model, which is, you know, to be seen into the future. But clearly the model is under attack. From the US, I do want to switch gears to look at AI. It has been the talk of the town for much of 2023, a buzzword as well. And as we look to 2024, Steen, you suppose that generative AI becomes a national security threat after a daring AI deepfake heist against a high-ranking official in a developed country. Wow, sounds like a scene out of a movie. How would that look like for you and who will be the biggest beneficiaries of AI regulations? And consequently, what would that mean for the tech-heavy Nasdaq? Probably Tom Cruise and another uh, episode of uh, Missing <laughs> one of his action movies. But 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 no, well, I mean, you're absolutely right. Again, here, Peter Garner, Iguidanis came up with a good way of thinking about AI because you need to ask the question, one, do we need guardrails on AI? Is there need to be some kind of control mechanism? And if that mechanism is going to be enabled, what would be the reason why that we do it? I think it's very unlikely, despite efforts from uh, EU Commission and the US authorities and everyone else to sort of create a moral book on this. I think the only thing that can really move the needle in terms of impacting negatively and in a controlling fashion AI is uh, let's, let's make a sort of an example. Imagine the national security eyes in the US is uh, seen on X and, and some of the media, social media. Uh, leaking documents to a uh, high-ranking officer in the Chinese uh, security apparatus in a cafe in uh, in Paris. Of course, none of this happens in reality, but it's such a quality of the defect. You also even have including emails uh, supporting the, the claim together with voice, uh, which sounds to be a telephone conversation with the intermediaries uh, facilitating this rate. You know, it may sound like a Tom Cruise movie, but it, it's pretty clear it's not, and it is already happening. We see the positive use of deepfake, of course, in that my, my, my Dutch colleague the other day sent me a Danish uh, video. Of course, the guy doesn't talk Danish, but the synchronization you can do in terms of lips reading, the accents, and what you can do is, is being used for, 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 for positive, positive things. But similar, you can do the actual negative. And, and just for the fun of it, some my anti-fraud department in Saksha actually did it on me. They took some of my public uh, sort of appearances and created a video to show the sector employees how much you can actually do in the space of just using 15 minutes in this. They came out with a with a with a voice recording that said, "My name is Steen Jacobs and I'm a potato." And you couldn't tell the difference between the the, the small American accent I have and and the ones you uh, I, I have on on a deep fake. So this is possible, and I think the only thing that can elevate uh, the guardrails and and get guardrails up on on it would be that it is an attack on national security. I think it already is. I think deep fake is probably. Apart from the moral issue of using AI in terms of is it giving a correct answer and is it productive or not, is too different. But national security would always supersede everything else. So the only way that AI gets controlled or limited in its speed will be a national security crisis. 
Mm, and should that happen and should we see more rate tape on this front? What do you think that would mean for tech stocks then? Any um, outrageous predictions on this front where the markets are concerned? I, I, you know, as, as you can tell, I'm an old man in, in this game. So uh, some people say I'm, I'm just an old, uh, cynical, uh, old geezer here. But I think on AI, we have priced the next five years of progress into some stocks. And one of the major beneficiaries, of course, have been NVIDIA and Microsoft, to take two names, uh, to some extent, uh, Alphabet, uh, Google as well. But 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 you know we know in the industrial evolution that uh, the first actors are not necessarily the best one. I'm so old I actually remember what the first spreadsheet were called. It was called Lotus. Uh, no one knows where Lotus is today. But uh, similar, you know, the first the first first flip phone, small phone we had in the world was Nokia, who today is known for doing networks, not for doing flip phones. So I, I, I think you know the end story of of who succeeds and who uh, fails in this is really down to to the use. But let me bring one single point which is important. I think AI is extremely useful if you have a database that you control that you use for the AI. So, you know, a good example would be laws. Uh, you know, in Anglo-Saxon law, you have uh, you have a, a vast a reservoir of cases. It's uh, based on, on, a, on a specific search. And, and in this case, it would be very good. In scientific research, uh, thinking about plasma placements in, in nuclear reaction, very good. But if you think that AI is going to be productive for you finding a better way of trading the stock market or you finding a better way to do the gym exercise, I, I, I do not think that's the case. I think, you know, end of the day, your human mind supersedes uh, computers, but that will in itself be controversial to say that these days. All right. And before we let you go, Steen, let's take a look at luxury shares. You've predicted that the EU will introduce a wealth tax on billionaires, somewhat acting as, in your words, the modern version of Robin Hood. Uh, what would the basis be for that to happen? And uh, what are the repercussions for shares of the likes of LVMH? What we're saying is that if you look at the next 10 years, one thing is clear is that is that government's going to come up short in terms of tax receipt. How do they build an additional tax receipt without uh, you know, threatening or, or going after the voters? Uh, that that is the easiest uh, populist call in the world is to go after the rich. Of course, the great irony being there is really not a huge amount of revenue from doing that, but it is a political signal that that can be enforced. We've seen it before, Robin Hood. Uh, it's uh, you know in the financial sector we've seen attempts trying to do a financial transaction tax. But, but the concept of Robin Hood plays well. We all know the story of Robin Hood uh, in, in, in the Nottingham Forest and fighting the, the sheriff. Uh, and I think uh, in a world which to me and, and to my mind in 24 will be increasingly anti-establishment and where the uh, inability to actually move the needle on inequality will be, be a driver of elections. I think one of the calls that may come out of this is either the EU Commission and all of all individual countries in Europe like Norway is going to go all in on the, uh, this wealth, care, uh, wealth tax, which is uh, in economic terms, absolutely useless. All right. Exciting days indeed. And really looking forward to see uh, what's ahead of us in 2024. Thanks a lot, Steen. That was Steen Jakobsen, Chief Investment Officer at Sexo. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.